0: he was praying i couldn't help but think think about uh what a blessing it is to have a bible right probably if we went to your home it'd be at least half a dozen bibles in your house what if you lived a few hundred years ago and you didn't have a bible see how blessed we are (laughs) it's just amazing just amazing to me lesson number seven This is in the last week of our Lord's life before he would be crucified. And uh, we're in probably a late evening after sunset of Tuesday. Now remember the way the Jews counted their days and counted their time was from sunset to sunset. We count it from midnight to midnight. But so after sunset would be the next day. So say this evening after about. When it gets dark, about 5.30 or so. Then after that, it would be Monday, <laughs> the way the Jews counted time. So this is late Tuesday, which is what they would probably be counting as Wednesday of that week. And, of course, our Lord would be crucified on Friday, just a couple of days after this. If you would, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. We'll spend most of our time there. You might want to mark John chapter 13. We'll be going between Matthew twenty-six, John thirteen, back and forth a little bit, and make some references to Mark and Luke as, as we go. Matthew chapter twenty-six, verse three. Then the chief priests and elders of the people were uh, gathered together in the court of the high priest named Caiaphas. The court of the high priest. That's where, in just a few hours, they would be bringing Jesus for the so-called trial. Or they would have false witnesses and so forth. Same place, the court of the high priest. And they plotted together to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they were uh, they were saying not during the festival, otherwise a riot might occur among the people. Uh, Mark tells us pretty much the same thing. Luke says it was a chief priest and scribe for seeking how they might put him to death for they were afraid of the people, so they were looking for an opportune time. Remember, this is the Passover coming up, so Jews from all over would be coming into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. I've read from historians that hopefully know about it, they'd say the, the population of Jerusalem might be three times what it normally would be around the festival time here, and so there were large crowds, and you know jesus in the daytime was going in the temple and there's always large crowds around that he was preaching and teaching and so the pharisees and the scribes and the chief priests were afraid that if they tried to arrest jesus amidst all of these crowds that there would be a riot And and like luke said they were they were afraid of the people so they had a problem they wanted to arrest him and kill him but they were afraid of the people so the, uh, their first inclination then is we'll wait till after the festival is over. There won't be as many people around then, and we'll kill him then. But of course, Jesus, or not Jesus, Judas would offer them another option, wouldn't he? Let's see what Judas has to say there in verse 14. Then one of the twelve named uh, Judas's carrot went to the chief priests and said, "What are you willing to give me to betray him to you?" I just realized I don't have this thing turned on. <laughs> what we're giving in order to betray him to you, and they weighed up 30 pieces of silver, I put Ezekiel, or, uh, Zechariah chapter 11, verse 12. He's fulfilling that prophecy there. Verse 16, And from, that, from then on he began looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. Again, Mark says something very, very similar. Uh, Luke gives us a little bit more information. and said they were glad when he and agreed to give Judas some money. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. So that's Judas as he's beginning to formulate his plan that if you give me some money, then I'll find a time in the absence of the multitude to betray him. And of course... Judas being part of Jesus' inner circle, he knew his habits. And we already know what was Jesus' habit throughout this week. What was he doing day and night? Praying. He was doing that, absolutely. Where would he go? Jerusalem in the daytime. and Mount of Olives at night. Luke said he's where he's spending the night on the Mount of Olives, right? And so Judas would know all of this. He's, he's been doing this now for a few days. Jerusalem in the daytime, in the temple teaching, Mount of Olives at night. So no doubt all of this is in Judas' mind. I'm going to find the time that I can portray Jesus in the absence of the multitude. Verse 17, Matthew 26. Uh, this seems to be Wednesday evening maybe. And we're into into Thursday, uh, the day before the Passover. So now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to prepare you to, to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is near. I am to keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Uh, Mark and Luke give us a little more information about that. Mark said that he sent two of the disciples into the city. Of course, that tells us now he's probably still out on the Mount of Olives from that evening. And so he's sending two disciples into the city here on Thursday to prepare the Passover. If I remember right, that's the way it worked. Remember, at sundown would be Friday, so that would be the Passover. But they would prepare it, get everything ready late thursday and then they would eat the passover meal that evening which would be friday Uh, luke tells us that those two disciples that he sent to prepare the passover was who peter and john right he sent peter and john into the city and he gives us a little more information says you're gonna you're gonna find a man there carrying a pitcher of water and then you were to tell him that our teacher needs a place to take the Passover, and he would provide them, and Luke says, a large furnished upper room. So we've got everything they need then for the 12 plus Jesus to uh, take the Passover. Uh, all of this, you know, uh, we've talked about faith and evidence a lot. And here Jesus, he's just adding evidence on top of evidence on top of evidence, Sydney, You're going to go into town, you're going to see a man carrying a pitcher of water, and you're going to tell him, our, our Lord, our teacher needs a place to take the Passover, and he's going to give you and let you use this upper room, and it happened just like he said it would. So, again, uh, an abundance of evidence that Jesus was who he claimed to be. Any comments there? So, they're preparing the Passover. Uh, Matthew twenty six verse twenty. Now when evening came, okay. So what day would it be now? It's evening. Now it's Friday, right? It's the it's the Passover day, right? As I understand it, the Passover and the unleavened bread that would go on the two combined for eight days. And of course, I think it's on Thursday, the day before the Passover. They get all the leaven out of the house. You couldn't even have it in your house, let alone in bread or anything like that get it out of the house and so they prepared the passover meal and now it's evening and they would they would eat the passover meal it would be friday early friday as they counted time now when evening came jesus was reclining at the table with the 12 disciples mark tells us the same thing luke very much the same thing that uh, they reclined at the table here in this upper room to uh eat the passover meal Now, hold your place there. We'll be coming back, move over to John chapter 13. John tells us a good little bit about the conversation going on in this upper room that uh, is, is not related in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. Remember to advance this thing. Now, before the Feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, okay, Jesus, God is still in control of everything that's happening, right? Jesus knows his hour's coming. He knows it's going to be Judas that's going to betray him. He's already told that, and he will tell it again. And he knows how and when and where it's going to happen. Could easily avoid all of this, couldn't he? Just don't go where he'd been going every night. And Judas wouldn't know. (laughs) After he left, we'll see how Jesus leaves the twelve there in the upper room here in a little bit. But Jesus, knowing his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were with him in the world. And listen to this. He loved them to the end. I'm thinking about these apostles and how much they must have kind of frustrated Jesus at some times when they didn't have... The kind of faith, oh, ye of little faith. How many times did he tell them that? And of course, they weren't perfect. Uh, They would deny him in just a few hours. They would deny they even knew Jesus. Uh, They would betray him and all of these things. But Jesus said he loved them to the end, the imperfect. Aren't we fortunate that Jesus loves us the same way? because we're not perfect either we're just like i'm sure if we'd been there with the apostles we would have been just just like them but jesus the love that he has is to the very end verse two during supper the devil having already put into the heart of jesus care the son of simon uh, to betray him and jesus knowing that the father had given all things in his hand and he had come forth from god and was going back to god got up from supper laid out his garments and taking a towel he girded himself just think just a moment about uh verse two it says the devil already having uh come into the heart of judas so did the uh did the devil uh force judas to do to betray jesus was that what happened here says the devil came into his heart so judas didn't have a choice right yeah he, he did have a choice um i think about first corinthians 10 and verse 13 now listen to this he, god says there's no temptation which has overtaken you but such as common to man and god is faithful he's faithful not only to us but to judas as well see god is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able But with the temptation will provide a way of escape also that you may be able to endure it. That's what God tells us. He's not going to let you be tempted beyond what you're able. I've had people tell me that you have to sin. God says, no, you don't. You're not going to be tempted beyond what you are able. James tells us how sin works. James chapter 1, beginning verse 13 Let no one say that when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But here's the way it works. Listen. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lusts. And then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. All right? So it's our own lust that causes us sin. what lust was uh, overtaking Judas here at this point? love of money wasn't it love of money wanted those 30 pieces of silver and so it was his own lust his own love of money that caused judas to do this terrible deed so now we're in the upper room they're going to partake of. it says during the supper verse 2 they're going to eat the uh, passover supper and it's only probably less than 12 hours jesus would be crucified So he's looking at the final opportunity to teach a lesson to his apostles. What do you think, what kind of lesson in these final hours of all the things he could be teaching his apostles, what would that lesson be? Your last opportunity, virtually last. What would it be? What did he do? Humility? Humility? Okay, it's that humble servant again. How many times has this been now? That just in the last few weeks that Jesus has taught that same lesson in different ways over and over and over and over again. You would think he's trying to tell us something. So what did he do? So he, he girded himself, this is now remember, this is Jesus the Christ, Christ means God's anointed one, the Son of God, our Creator, and he's gonna get down in the floor with a towel, and he's gonna wash twelve sets of dirty feet. The Son of God's gonna do that. And when he had finished, let's see, it says verse 11, he knew which one was going to betray him. He says, not all of you are clean. And verse 12, he says, do you know what I have done to you? Suppose you were sitting there and it was Jesus, your your master, your teacher, the one you've already confessed to be the son of God, and he washed your feet. And then he asks you, what did I do to you? How would you answer that? Now, we, we know they knew he washed their feet, but he's looking for more than that. In. How would you answer that? What, what did I do to you? He gave them that perfect example of the humble servant, didn't he? The one who was willing to sacrifice Verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, so I I am. If then the Lord and teacher wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Look at verse 15. For I have given you an example that you should do as I did to you. You remember back in Matthew 23, Jesus talking about the Pharisees. And he told the people that were listening to him, he says, you do as they say, but not as they do so they lay heavy burdens on you and they're not willing to even lift it with the little finger themselves so do as they say but don't do as they do but when it comes to Jesus it says you do as I do Jesus never requires of us what he's not willing to do himself he's always been the perfect example and here it is again so Your Lord, the Son of God, who came from the Father from heaven down to this earth, washed your feet, and you should do the same. And not only should you be that humble servant, but you ought to take joy in being that humble servant. You ought to look forward to being that humble servant. We learned that back in the widow's might. Do you remember that? Looked at that a few weeks ago. And so, verse seventeen, he says, uh, "If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them." So, just knowing it's not enough; is it? <laughs> you you've got to follow, follow the example. And then again, he, in uh, verse eighteen, he lets them know once again about uh, the one that's going to betray him. He said, "That the scripture may be fulfilled, who eats bread, uh, each my bread, is lifts his uh, heel up against me." That's quoted from the forty-first Psalm, verse nine. And verse 19, it says, I'm telling you these things beforehand so that you may believe. And so again, more evidence, right? I'm telling you all of this before it happens. And so after it happens, you're going to look back and go, okay, that's what Jesus said. More, more evidence on top of evidence on top of evidence. Any comments on John 13, 1 through 20? Here, so uh, God knew in His plan of salvation that here we are, two thousand years after all of this happened, and we would need evidence for faith, right? And so He's He's providing that again and again and again and again. But Chris, I, I love how Peter demonstrates not just repentance but very sincere repentance in uh, verse 8 where he, he tells Jesus you shall never wash my feet and Jesus says if, if I don't wash your feet you have no part with me and then he says not only my feet but also my hands and my head hey I, I, I don't know why but I, I definitely want that so whatever it takes and I love that attitude with him yeah. yeah, Peter is always the impetuous well he's always out front right sometimes that gets him in trouble <laughs> it almost did here but then, like, like you said, if, if that's what it takes to be with you, then wash all of me. <laughs> not just my feet, but everything. It goes a little overboard there. Any other thoughts? Okay, back to Matthew chapter 26. And uh, we'll be looking a little bit at Mark and Luke as well here, just making some reference to it. Matthew 26 and verse 26. And while they were eating... Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said to them, Take, eat, this is my body. We had taken the cup and given thanks. He gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink uh, of this fruit of the vine uh, from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. I like... The way Luke words these say, he adds a little more information to it. Back probably 20, 25 years ago, we were visiting with my mom and dad down in Coleman, Alabama, when they still lived down there. And when we were with them on weekends, we worshiped at the Highway 157 congregation. This one particular Sunday, Charles Chandler was uh, leading the singing. Charles is Carol Rather's brother, happens to be. before the Lord's Supper that morning, he led number 369. It was the first time I'd ever heard that song. The chorus goes like this. He says, You were threatened for me. You were slandered for me. Every thorn, every nail, every tear was for me. Sweet the thought that my soul may be mended and whole by my Lord, who was broken for me. That helps me bring it down to a a really personal level. And I can visualize that upper room sitting across the table from Jesus, just Jesus and me. And in Luke's account, he says this, And he'd taken some bread, he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup and he said, this cup which is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. And I think about that, and it occurs to me that you know, it was my sin just as much as those people that drove the nails through his hands and his feet it was my sin that put him on the cross and there's sadness and regret about that but at the same time there's joy gratitude and respect that our Lord loved us so much that he was willing to suffer all of that and we'll see in the next lesson or so all about that suffering but it just to me that brings it down home it makes it personal jesus says i did it for you and i'm so glad that the bible is like it is and we've got all these accounts that gives us more information about exactly what jesus said looking back in Matthew 20, any comments there? No. Back in Matthew 26, we'll look very briefly at uh, verse 28 again. He says, for this is my blood in the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, but we know that the, the English word for, F-O-R, can be used in a number of different ways, right? It can mean It can mean because. It can mean in order to, unto, into, things like that. So how do we know what it means here? Does it? Well, if if you were to get a Greek lexicon and go back and look at it, you would see that the Greek word used there that is translated into the English word for is eis, pronounced ice. And if you look up the meaning, it means unto, into, in order to. It doesn't mean because. And that makes it, I don't know anybody that would say that Jesus poured out his blood because our sins had already been forgiven. That wouldn't make any sense, would it? So it's no surprise then that the Greek word there means in order to, unto, into, that kind of thing. And I bring that up just because it's the same word, the same sentence structure that you find in Acts 2.38 when it says, he that believes in the Bible, that's the wrong verse repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of jesus christ for the forgiveness of your sins some people want to tell us that for means because but again it's the word ice there that means unto in order to into not not because and one other note that if uh, in the, the peter's second sermon in acts chapter three in verse 19 he says repent therefore in return, that your sins may be wiped away. So the repentance then is, that your sins may be wiped away. Guess what the Greek word is there that's translated that? It's ice. The same word. And so there's no question about it. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's Bible that, that uh, baptism is for the forgiveness of your sins. Uh, We can read in Ephesians 1 in verse 7 that, uh, let's see if I've got it here. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. So again, it tells us that it's the blood of Jesus that is for forgiveness of our trespasses. You can read it in any number of verses. In Acts 22 in verse 16, Ananias said to Paul, and I why tear thou, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And so, when is it that the blood of Christ, that we contact the blood of Christ that cleanses our sins? It's, clearly it's at the point of baptism, isn't it? That's, that's, that's clear teaching from the Bible. Any any comments there? I've kind of, they say when you're going in a lesson, you're not supposed to chase rabbits, but I. <laughs> Felt like that was a good one to chase for just a moment. A lot more could be said about it, but it's it's pretty plain, clear Bible teaching. Okay, back to Matthew chapter 26. Uh before we pass on from the Lord's Supper, I just want to mention First Corinthians chapter eleven. Of course, that's talks about partaking of the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner, right? It doesn't say you have to be worthy of that a sacrifice, necessarily, but you partake of it in a worthy manner. So, how do you do that? According to 1 Corinthians chapter eleven, how do you partake of the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner? Together. Together. We together. Together. Okay, we partake together. And what's what's in our minds? Are, are we are is our minds on having a big feel of a, a meal? I'm hungry. And so, boy, I'm going to get to eat something to fill up my stomach. Is that what my mind is on? No. Jesus says, do it in remembrance of me, right? And and there in in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says, we proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So those ought to be the things that are in our minds while we're partaking of of the Lord's supper, to do it in a a worthy manner. Any other comments there? Okay, uh, Matthew 26... Verse 21, and as they were eating, he said, truly I say to you that one of you will betray me. Uh, Being deeply grieved, uh, John says that he became troubled in spirit. Being deeply grieved, each one of them began to say uh, to him, surely not I, Lord. And some of the other accounts said that uh, Luke said they were discussing among themselves. Is it me? Is it you? You can imagine the 12 when Jesus said one's going to betray me they're looking at one another is it going to be you is it going to be me who's it going to be you can just imagine how that might have been Uh, there in verse 24 woe to that man uh, by whom the son of man is betrayed it would be better for that man if he'd never been born and Judas was Judas who was betraying said surely it's not I rabbi and he said to him you have you said it yourself Uh, and he told them a a sign that he would give them that would be the one that dipped with him in the bowl. As I understand it, they would have bowls of some kind of broth, and they would have bread, and they would dip it in the bowl. And, of course, with 12 of them sitting around the table, there was probably at least three or four different bowls. But he said it would be one of them that dipped in, in the same bowl with him. And it's just, in a way, it's amazing that they never... It seemed like they never put two and two together and figured out who it was going to be. <laughs> but, of course, it was Judas that dipped in, in the same bowl with with Jesus. Uh, I don't know if I forgot to... I was supposed to go there, and I forgot to forward it. Then there's you some scriptures <laughs> concerning the Lord's Supper. Okay, again, hold your place. We're going to go over to uh, John chapter 13 briefly. And then we'll be going back uh, to Luke, then back to Matthew 26. John chapter 13, verse 27. It says, After the morsel, uh, Satan entered to him, that is Jesus. Therefore, Jesus said to him, uh, What you do, do it quickly. Okay, now, again, God's in control, right? so this is the passover now this is the passover evening and jesus was going to be the real the true passover lamb right so it needed to happen his crucifixion give shedding his blood needed to happen during the passover so we're not going to wait another 24 hours or another week he's going to be the passover lamb so he told judas what you're going to do go ahead and get it done do it do it quickly it reminded me a little bit of uh, Romans 5 and verse 6 that we've referred to several times. It says at the right time, Jesus died for the ungodly. So he controlled that time altogether. You remember it was John the Baptist when he saw Jesus. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So Jesus being the true Passover Lamb. The, uh, the Passover festival where they actually slaughtered a, a literal lamb was, was the type, and Jesus be the anti-type, right? That was the shadow, and Jesus would be the real thing. So it tells us there in verse 30, So after receiving the morsel, he, Judas, went out immediately, and it was night. It was night. Judas is looking for opportunity then, away from the multitude, to betray Jesus where it wouldn't be seen by others, right? And it was night, and Judas leaves. So now it's Jesus and the eleven in the upper room. So he talks to them about a new commandment. This is John 13, uh, verse 33. Little children, I'm giving you. I, I will be. I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me, as I said to the Jews. Now I'll say to you, where I am going, you can't come. So he tells them, I'm going to be with you only a little while longer. And where I'm going, you can't come with me. Now, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. A new commandment to love one another. Is this the first time that Jesus has ever told them we need to love one another? Not by any stretch, is it? You remember back in Matthew 22 when he was asked what's the greatest commandment i said love the lord our god all our heart soul and mind and the second is likened to it what was it you shall love your neighbor as yourself and so jesus has taught them a number of times but he says here's a new commandment i'm giving you what would that be why would he say i'm giving you a new commandment I I, I like the way you said that, magnitude. That word hadn't come to my mind, but that was a good one. Everybody here, there's a new magnitude. It's as I have loved you. And so uh, how much did Jesus love us? Gave gave his life, didn't he? And not only just gave his life, but in a, a terrible, painful, shameful way, he was willing to. And he says, you love one another as I have loved you. It's interesting also that God in in Ephesians chapter 5 says, husband loves your wives as Christ loved the church. Think about that, husbands. Okay, the new commandment. Uh, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Uh, very briefly, we're going to go go to Luke chapter 22 here now, and then we'll go back to Matthew 26. Luke 22, verse 24. And so, uh, assuming that this chronology, whoever put this together has got it right, uh, here yet again, the disciples are going to be discussing who's going to be the greatest... In the kingdom, and there in Luke twenty-two and verse twenty-four, that, that's what they were discussing: who's going to be the greatest? Uh, verse twenty-five, he's, Jesus said that Gentiles lorded over them, and those who have authority over them are called their benefactors. But it's not to be this way with you. But the one who's greatest among you must be like the youngest and the leader, the servant. And in verse twenty-seven, but I am among you as one who serves. So there's the perfect example again. So by my count, and I could have missed one, this is the seventh time just in our discussion in these last few weeks, discounting any discussion before that, the seventh time, at least the seventh time, he's given us and taught us this example of being the the humble servant. And so here he does it yet again, twice in just the last few hours of his life. He closes that discussion. Look at verse 30. Hey, let's look up at verse 20. And, and and just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So you you, the these eleven apostles, and Judas is gone, gonna sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. How how will they do that? okay through the preaching we got remember jesus said you'll be judged by the words that i have spoken well who was it that related those words to us was the apostles right (laughs) so in that sense they would be judges uh john chapter let's see 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 2 it talks about the saints judging the world. So that's in a little different sense, possibly, although it would be the saints that would pass on the gospel to other people. So in that sense, it could still be the same. But I think also sometimes there's a sense of uh, the gospel is out there, and those that believe it and receive it and obey it are showing that it ought to be that the way that it should be done. And so in that sense, they're judging those that reject the gospel and reject our savior. So in that sense too. So in those senses, at least then the apostles said, you'll be judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Any other thoughts? We've got about five minutes here. Back to Matthew chapter 26. So again, uh, Jesus now is uh, foretelling uh, their denial. And Jesus said to them, this is verse 31 of Matthew 26. You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Now Luke's account, he kind of singles out to some degree. uh, Peter, this is Luke 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. I understand that the way they sifted wheat in those days as you wanted to separate the wheat from the chaff and they would kind of uh, sift that and throw it in the air the wind would blow away the chaff and it would leave the wheat the, the kernel there and so satan is wanting to sift peter in a similar way and with all these temptations and dangers and things to see if there was going to be any faith left over and jesus says but i've prayed for you that your faith may not fail and and you once you have uh, turned again, strengthen your your brothers. And so we know, just reading the Book of Acts, right, and then First and Second Peter, that that did happen. That that uh, though Peter did deny Jesus, he wasn't the only one, but he did turn it around. Uh, back in Matthew twenty six, just I'd have to finish with this. Uh, Verse 33, Peter said to them, even even though I may fall away because of you, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Not me, Lord. You may be right about these other guys, but not me. I'm not going to do that. It reminded me of 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27. You remember what Paul said there? I buffet my body daily, lest after preaching to others, I myself might become a cast." He wasn't so boastful, was he? He understood that he needed self-control along. I'm not going to jump out there and boast say, not me, I'll never. But Peter did. But Jesus said to him back in verse 34, Truly I say to you that verily this night before a rooster crows you would deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing as well. So it wasn't just Peter, although he jumped out in front of everybody else. It was all of the uh, disciples said that that they they would never, even if they had to die with him, they would never uh, deny him. And, uh, of course, he tells Peter, well, you will too. Before the rooster crows, you're going to die me three times. And so we'll pick up right there next week. We're out of time. uh, In Lesson Chapter 7... And about Luke 22 and verse 35 is where we'll pick up, Lord willing, next week.